Welcome to the Raised with Jesus podcast, 10 minutes every day where the life of Jesus meets yours. You've got your daily Bible reading today from Micah 6 and 7. Micah chapter 6, God's case against his people. Listen now to what the Lord is saying. Get up, plead your case to the mountains, let the hills hear your voice. Listen, you mountains, to the accusation from the Lord. Pay attention, you enduring foundations of the earth, because the Lord is presenting a case against his people, and he is indicting Israel. My people, what have I done to you, and how have I made you weary? Answer me. I was the one who brought you up from the land of Egypt. I redeemed you from the place where you were slaves. I sent Moses, Aaron, and Miriam ahead of you. My people, remember what Balak, king of Moab, planned, and how Balaam, son of Beor, responded to him when you were about to travel from Shittim to Gilgal, so that you may acknowledge the Lord's righteous acts. Israel's Response With what am I to appear before the Lord? How should I bow down to God on high? Should I appear before him with burnt offerings, with one-year-old calves? Will the Lord be delighted with thousands of rams, with tens of thousands of streams of oil? Should I give my firstborn for my rebellion, the fruit of my body, for the sin of my soul? He has told you, mankind, what is good. What does the Lord require from you, except to carry out justice and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? The voice of the Lord speaks against sin. The voice of the Lord cries out to the city, To fear your name is to sound judgment. Pay attention to the rod and to the one who appointed it. You wicked house, do you still have treasures gained by wickedness and dishonest measurements that are cursed? Can I condone your dishonest scales and your bags full of false weights? The city's rich men are full of violence, and its inhabitants speak falsehood. Their tongues are treachery inside their mouths. So I will wound you, striking you down and making you desolate because of your sins. You will eat, but you will not be satisfied. Your emptiness will remain inside you. You will try to store things up, but you will not save anything. What you save I will give to the sword. You will sow, but you will not reap. You will press olives, but you will not anoint yourselves with oil. You will trample grapes for juice, but you will not drink the wine. You have observed the statutes of Omri and all the practices of the house of Ahab. You have walked in their way of life. So I will make you a hideous sight. Your inhabitants will be subjected to contempt. You will bear the shame of my people. This is the word of God in Micah chapter 6. The beginning of the chapter starts out with God calling the mountains and the foundations of the earth as witnesses, and before whom God says, Well, plead your case. Pay attention, because the Lord has, has presented his case, and my people well, they can feel free to plead their side of the case. And the question, verse 3, My people, what have I done to you, and how have I made you weary? Answer me. God's people had turned their backs on him. Maybe they were just, you know, plain old burnt out. Maybe they had taken God's grace for granted. I think all of the above. And God does exactly what he has done at other points in Scripture and other points in Israel's history. He points back to his faithfulness in the past as proof for his continued faithfulness and his continued grace today. He says, remember all these things that I did for you. He has this, this group of three. I brought you up from the land of Egypt. I redeemed you from the place where you were slaves. I sent Moses, Aaron, and Miriam ahead of you. Three concepts or three elements of the whole Exodus, which up to this point was the greatest 
greatest rescue that God had um, undertaken for his people. And then he also talks about the spiritual battle where he defended them from Balaam, son of Beor, who wanted to curse God's people. And God says, no way, you can't touch my people. And Israel's response is, is almost this response of, of arrogance and a response of not actual repentance. Well, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to, to show up? How should, how should I worship you? How should I bow down before you? Should I offer offerings? Will you be delighted with thousands of rams, with tens of thousands of streams of oil? Should I give my own child as a sacrifice to you? And it's this arrogance of unbelief. And it's the arrogance that doesn't want to repent. And far be it from us that such lack of repentance should ever take hold in our hearts. What do you want from me, God? Far be it from us that we become so obsessed with our own comfort, our own pleasure, our own time, our own priorities, that we would even answer that way to our Lord. But is it possible that we would answer that way to those whom God has given to us, whether our brothers and sisters in the faith or those of our own household? Well, <laughs> I do all these things for you. What is it that you want from me? Is it possible that... Not that we have treated our Lord with contempt, or at least we haven't put that thought into our minds, but is it possible that we have treated the Lord's gifts and the Lord's people that he has given to us with similar contempt, a similar lack of thankfulness, and a similar disregard for the good things that God has brought into our lives? And verse 8 is the, is the clarification based on the law. What is the fulfillment of the law? Well, God has told you, mankind, what is good. You don't have to go seeking after your own law or making up your own law. You don't have to go and do everything that you think that everybody is saying that you must do. You don't have to go chasing down all these extraordinary works. God has told you what is good. That is to love your neighbor as yourself. And God explains here in verse 8, What does the Lord require from you except to carry out justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God? To carry out justice, that is to say, to live and act in a way that is in line with God's law. To love mercy, that is to say, to be, to be patient. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, that yes, love is patient and to walk humbly with your God, to recognize where we stand in relation to him and how that shapes and colors our relationship with everyone else. And the contrast to that is verse 9, the exact following verse. The voice of the Lord cries out to the city, To fear your name is sound judgment. Pay attention to the rod and to the one who appointed it. Pay attention to the word that God has given. Because when he calls us to repentance, when he shows us our sin, when he reveals to us exactly the condition that our hearts have been, then what he wants is for us to return to him. Exactly as he holds out his hand here to Israel one more time, God says, well, act in a way that is in line with all that he has said, all that he has given. Act in a way that demonstrates recognition of God's grace to you individually and God's gifts to you and the people around you. And so Micah continues in verse 7, or chapter 7 rather. This is the prophet's lament as we conclude the book of Micah with chapter 7. He says, I am miserable. I have become like someone gathering summer fruit when it is time to glean the vineyard. There is no bunch of grapes to eat, none of the early figs I crave. The faithful have been carried off from the land. There is no one upright among mankind. They all lie in wait for blood. Each one hunts his brother with a net. 
Both hands are skilled at evil. The officials ask for bribes and the judges as well. The important man says what he wants. Together, they plot it out. The best of them is like a briar bush, the most upright, like a hedge of thorns. The day for your watchmen, the day for your punishment has come. Now confusion has come to them. Do not trust a neighbor. Do not put confidence in a close friend. Watch what comes out of your mouth, even when you lie down with the wife you embrace. For a son will declare that his father is a fool. A daughter will rise up against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the members of his own household. But as for me, I will keep watching for the Lord. I will wait for God my Savior. My God will hear me. And finally, God's people will rise again. Do not rejoice over me, my enemy. When I fall, I will rise. When I sit in the darkness, the Lord will be a light for me. Because I have sinned against him, I will bear the Lord's wrath, until he pleads his case and obtains a favorable verdict for me. He will bring me to the light. I will see his righteousness. Then my enemy will see this and will be covered with shame. She who said to me, Where is the Lord your God? My eyes will see her as she is being trampled like mud in the streets. It will be a day to rebuild city walls. On that day your boundary will be extended. On that day people will come to you from the lands of Assyria and the cities of Egypt, from Egypt even to the river Euphrates, from sea to sea and mountain to mountain. The land will be laid waste because of its inhabitants as a result of the fruit of their deeds. Shepherd your people with your staff, the flock that is your inheritance, the flock which which dwells by itself in a forest, in the middle of fertile pasture land. Let them graze in Bashan and Gilead as in days of old. As I did in the days when you came out of the land of Egypt, I will show you wonderful miracles. The nations will see and be ashamed of their lack of strength. They will place their hand over their mouth. Their ears will be deaf. They will lick up dust like a snake, like the thing that creeps on the earth. They will come from their hiding places, shaking with fear. They will come trembling to the Lord our God, and they will be afraid in your presence. Who is a God like you, who forgives guilt and who passes over the rebellion of the survivors from his inheritance? He does not hold on to his anger forever. He delights in showing mercy. He will have compassion on us again. He will overcome our guilty deeds. He will throw all their sins into the depths of the sea. You will give truth to Jacob and mercy to Abraham, as you swore to our fathers from days of old. This is the word of our God. That is the conclusion of chapter 7 and the conclusion of the book of the prophet Micah. In chapter 7, um, when Micah starts out, I am miserable. I become like someone gathering summer fruit when it is time to glean the vineyard. And then he describes, especially if you're following along in your paper Bible, just look at verses, you know, the second half of verse 1, all the way through, I guess, um, verse 6. Basically, four and a half verses where he's describing society. And he kind of takes a tour of society as he's walking from the vineyard and out in the field um, to the, the towns that lie deserted, to the the danger that he would encounter walking along the roadway, all the way to the city gates and the officials asking for bribes and the judges as well, and the important man saying what he wants. And he says, even the watchmen, even the watchmen aren't following through. And so his conclusion was, well, verses five and six, don't trust a neighbor, put a confidence in a close friend and watch out what comes out of your mouth and watch out what you say. Why? Because a man's enemies are the members of his own household. That Israel would really taste the bitterness of their doom and the bitterness of a society in which all the ties that bind people together are broken and no one can trust anyone. 
This is the end result of the ruthless individualism that they have made the rule of their lives. For this society, there is no human hope. The prophet and those who heed his word must look to the Lord, the God of their salvation. Only he can answer their prayer for the better people and a better day beyond the present day of judgment. What do we learn from Micah here? Well, here in Micah chapter 6 and 7, Jesus alludes to these chapters pretty strongly when he talked in Matthew 23 about the greater things of the law as the Pharisees would tithe with their mint and dill and cumin and then they would forsake the greater things of the law like justice and mercy. Um, and then here in 7, when he, Jesus talked about that he had not come to bring peace on the earth but a sword and that daughter would rise up against her mother, daughter-in-law against mother-in-law, man's enemies are the members of his own household. With those words, Jesus had said in the greater things of the law that God doesn't desire the outward acts of sacrifice. God desires your heart and a heart that adheres to his word and a heart that exercises his law in love, even when and especially when it is difficult. But then when Jesus also talked about the division in the household, he referred back to Micah to say, you know, things are going to get worse and things will be bad. And even if you think that they're bad now, they will continue to get worse. Because what Micah is talking about here in chapter 7 is the fact that their society is pulling apart at the seams and the fabric of their society is becoming unraveled almost before their very eyes due to the selfishness of the people which had its root cause in deserting their Lord. And Micah had said, in this society, in this community, you can't even trust your neighbor. You can't even trust what you might whisper to your spouse lying there in bed because your children would turn you in. You know, almost like something out of 1984 or any of the other dystopian novels that, that are at least on my favorite reading list. Um, and so when Jesus refers to that... He's referring to this time of Israel. He's referring to, especially to this prophet Micah. And he was telling, he was telling you and me that there will be a time when you will see in your own communities, in your own congregations, even in your own households, there will be a time when you will see the lack of fear that people have for God and the overwhelming fear that they have for one another and toward one another. There will be a time when you see the fabric of your own society being pulled apart, but the fabric of society coming apart will be hinging upon the coming of Jesus, that first coming of Jesus, that people will be divided on the basis of what Jesus had come with his first coming to say and to teach, and what you believe about that, that you, dear Christian, will be the one who will be turned against because of what you believe and why you believe it, that you, dear Christian, are the one who holds to the person and work of Jesus Christ, and yes, because of him, Jesus has come with the sword, turning the family against itself and bringing this disorder. Why? Because he is the God of order. He is the God of peace and mercy and grace. And that peace is only found worshiping at his feet and gathered around his throne. That the disorder he brings is the same disorder that Micah talks about here, that Micah laments as he's wandering in from the vineyard, in all the way to the courtroom, and out to the city wall, saying, where will I find justice? And the greater, the greater disorder that Jesus brings 
is the fact that he also exposes the rank individualism, the self-pride that asserts itself over and against one's neighbor, the same way that the people in Micah's day did, that their hearts were set upon themselves and what they would gain and how they could gain it, even at the expense of their fellow man. And Jesus, even more greatly, he comes in fulfillment of the law. He comes and he creates people who follow him. He creates people who have been given a new heart. And the the division that he brings is the division of the selfless Christian whose heart is set on things above in a world of the selfish person whose hearts are set on the here and now. And I mean, the way that I see it, the, the distinction really comes out, especially in the conscience. Because every person in this world has a conscience. Every single person has a conscience. And they are still driven along by guilt. Because that conscience is part of the natural knowledge of God. And the fact that you live a good and godly life in line with the external word of God. In line then with the clarified conscience as, it, as God's law is written on our hearts. The fact that you live a godly life is your condemnation of the world, is your way of recognizing that I obey a higher law because I have one who obeyed God's law for me, that I have been set free from guilt and shame because I have a Jesus who has risen from the dead for me. That's exactly where Micah ended up in chapter 7, and that is even more true today for us than it was in Micah's community, Micah's society, Micah's country and city and town. Because the truth is, for you and for me, that spiritual reality is completely disclosed through Scripture. <laughs> that in Scripture, in a sense, you have a starter pack on understanding life. And that through Scripture itself, we see Jesus portrayed for us as the one who gave his life for you and for me, who raised himself from the dead and who will come again in judgment. And the fact that we gather together, the fact that we sing together, the fact that we receive forgiveness together at the Lord's table from the Lord's own altar, consisting of the Lord's own body and blood hidden underneath that bread and the wine, those facts which form the foundation of our faith are also facts which condemn every selfish, individualistic self-centered and self-driven human emotion of this world. The facts of our faith stand in stark contrast to the, to the reality of this world, where people might try to cloak and clothe their, their motives in good colors and to make it appear as holy and upright and honorable and loving. But deep down, deep down, they're still struggling with guilt Deep down, they can't find a way to silence the conscience, much like, you know, Edgar Allan Poe's um, short story, The Telltale Heart. It just keeps on beating and beating and beating with its guilt crying out against me. So what shall we do? That if you look at Micah 6 and 7, if you draw any comfort from these Old Testament prophets who seem so repetitive, first of all, look at the conclusion of, of chapter 7. Who is a God like you who forgives guilt and who passes over the rebellion of the survivors from his inheritance? Our God does not hold on to his anger forever. He delights in showing mercy. He will have compassion on us again. He will overcome our guilty deeds. He will, you will throw all their sins into the depths of the sea. And he did that in the person and work of Jesus Christ. That's the message that we share. So let's share it confidently. And that sharing it confidently it looks like sharing it simply by saying, dear friend, here's a book. 
like at our church here, and I encourage it for all of our churches, buy a number of copies of God the Ultimate Humanitarian from Pastor Mark Cares out at Truth and Love Ministries out in Idaho. Um, and you can get like a two for one deal. And the books are like six or seven dollars each. And just get a couple boxes of, the, of those books for your congregation and say, please share this with a friend. And whether you share it with one person or five people, thanks be to God. Because you know people who are distressed by the world around them, who are distressed by what looks like the disintegrating of the fabric of society, um, who might even find some commonality with what Micah says here in chapter 6 and 7. You know people who are driven by guilt. You know people who are trumpeting and signaling all the good things that they are doing, who are trumpeting their love and their good deeds before men, but who know their Savior not. You know those people. And the time is now to reach them with the word of truth. Because the time, yes, will be coming when they will recognize why it is and what it is about you that makes them so uncomfortable around you. And it's not because of your hair color. It's not because of your eye color or your social status. It's because of your connection to this Jesus. It's because your conscience can't be manipulated and driven along by guilt and shame. It's because you actually can go day to day, not thinking you're any better, but thinking that you, at the same time you're completely righteous in God's eyes. You can go to day to day walking humbly before the Lord your God and recognizing that our God has been gracious to me. So let's not miss this generation's opportunity to speak of the grace of our God. And whether it's a simple thing like a book that you pass along and say, hey, I'd like to talk with you about this sometime, or um, here's a book, read it at your own convenience, and, and here's my pastor's number, um, or can I give him your number, because I'm sure he'd like to discuss it with you. Or maybe it's an invitation to church. Maybe it's a simple way to say, dear friend, I care about you. And I want you to know about the one who cares about you even more. Thanks so much for joining us here at the Raised with Jesus podcast. Tomorrow we get into the book of James, the New Testament book of James. Always interesting, and um, and I'm thankful for kind of a long-form version uh, to be able to discuss these things in a longer format over the next week or so. And I want to thank you for subscribing and thank you for listening to us. I know you have lots of choices out here in podcast land among all the entertainment and all the other podcast options. I thank you for spending a few moments with us. God bless your day.